Welcome to episode 12 of See You Down the Front, and this week I'm joined once again by Adam Blaney. Morning, Adam. Hey, Paul, you guys. And Ben Haywood. Morning, Ben. Hey, Paul. Hey, Adam. Hey, Ben. Good to have the uh, usual midfield three back, <laughs> back in harness. And this week it's going to be the turn of looking at uh, cover versions. Uh, we may have mentioned one or two when we were looking at pop travesties, but this week we're going positive all the way. We're looking at those covers that are classics and those covers that are quirky but still done well. We've each compiled a list of five for both sections. So I think we've got a really good spread looking at some of the lists that I've, uh, I've seen already of, uh, of tracks that you may have heard. Some are very familiar, some are maybe unfamiliar, but when we put the playlist out as well, I think there's one or two definitely worth catching up with if you haven't heard before. So we're going to start with the, uh, the classics. And uh, Ben, if you want to, do you want to kick us off with your five and why you've picked them? Yeah, so I gave a lot of thought to this and... Um... At first, I think I must have came up with about 30 covers that I particularly like. Um, so I've spent a while trying to whittle that down to five songs. Um, and the five that I've come out with, um, I'll start with Redemption Song by Joe Strummer with Johnny Cash. I've got Lost in Music by The Fall, um, originally by Sister Sledge. I've got Aretha Franklin's version of Eleanor Rigby, um, All Along the Watchtower, Jimi Hendrix's brilliant Bob Dylan cover and lastly I've gone for California Dreaming Bobby Womack's version of the Mamas and the Papas classic um, so I'll kick it off with Redemption Song obviously a Bob Marley song one of his very best um, and it, in 2002 Joe Strummer covered the song and he actually covered it with Johnny Cash which that collaboration for a start I think dream so, team yeah absolutely um, so you know it's two proper sort of musical prophets covering another um, legend, I think. So I think it was always going to be a hit from the off. Um, but actually, I quite like how it happened. I've done some research into the song this week, and basically Joe Strummer was on holiday in Los Angeles. Um, I, picture, I pictured it as, you know, sort of the late 70s, early 80s in Los Angeles, but actually it was only, what, 18 years ago. Um, and Johnny Cash was in the recording studio. I think he was recording his final album. And Joe Strummer just happened to be hanging about the studio just to, to watch Johnny Cash in action, basically, as, as you would, given the opportunity, I think. Um, and they hit it off, basically. They started talking about music, um, particularly about Jamaica. Um, and I think, obviously, the Clash's reggae influence and particularly Joe Strummer's is, is no secret really um, but they hit it off talking about that and, and decided to sing a song, decided to cover a, a reggae song of some kind and they settled on Redemption Song um, and I think it's just a, a really great song for those two to cover together like I said they're sort of musical prophets so then um, taking on a song with the sort of message of Redemption Song I think is really powerful and I think they've both got really unique sort of vocals that really work on the song. It's a very acoustic cover and I didn't realise but it's actually Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine who plays the guitar All on right. the song. So the combination of Joe Strummer, Johnny Cash and Tom Morello covering a Bob Marley song is yeah. um, <laughs> as good as it gets really um, and I just like the thought of them just jamming in yeah. Los Angeles <laughs> together really more than anything else. Um, so that's the first song I've gone for. There is a version of the song by both of them uh, individually as well, which are both great, but I think they really, they sing, their, their vocal styles really complement each other. Um, so that's the first that I've gone for. Um, secondly, I've got Lost in Music by The Fall. Now this definitely could have come under the quirky category as well, but I love it that much. Um, that I think it's just a solid, brilliant song. Um, the Fall have done a few covers before, most notably they covered Victoria by The Kinks, which is great as well. But I think just taking on a disco classic like Lost in Music yeah. by Sister Sledge is just, you know, hearing Marky e. Smith try something like that is just a, a recipe for something brilliant, I think. They cover an old and soul song as well, don't they? There's a ghost in my house. Yes, yeah. yes, I believe so. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to hear Marky e. Smith try absolutely any style to be honest because he's so sort of distinctive 
Um, but yeah, so it's from the infotainment scan in 1993, which um, I believe was the fall's highest charting album. I'm not sure where it charted, um, but I think this is one of the best songs on the album. Um, in 1993, I suppose that was when sort of the rave scene had really taken hold of the charts um, and the fall. They weren't necessarily part of that really, but I think in taking on a proper disco anthem, um, it sort of fit in um, with the, the music of the time. But what Marky e. Smith does so well is he does it in such a scornful Um, And it sounds really good. And when reading about the song, um, it just mentioned him him singing lyrics like being lost in music, caught in a trap. And I've never thought of it myself, but that's sort of him talking about the sort of empty hedonism of the time um, on dance floors. And it was the fall's way of sort of capturing a time whilst at the same time sort of distancing themselves from it and, and pouring scorn on it kind of thing. So I like that element. I just think it's a brilliant, brilliant song as well. Um, I'd almost go as far as saying I think I might prefer it to the Sister Sledge version, yeah. which is um, an absolute classic for about 1979. Um, so that's my favourite fall cover, and it's possibly one of my all-time favourite covers, that one, actually. Um the next one I've gone for is Aretha Franklin, and it's a cover of Eleanor Rigby by the Beatles. She's done a few uh, Beatles covers, I believe, uh, but Eleanor Rigby is definitely my favourite one. And what I like so much about it is that she sings it in first person. So she's taken the Eleanor Rigby lyrics and really sort of put a, put a spin on it. Um, and just for a start, I think that's a, a great idea to do. Um, it was in 1969. It was a really sort of bold reinvention of the song. It sounds completely different to the Beatles version, which is, I think, crucial for a great cover. Um, it's always great to hear someone sort of mimic a great song, but I think when they can put their own sort of spin on it, yeah. it um, takes it to the next level. Um, she also does a cover of The Long and Winding Road, which is great, but there's something about the cover of Eleanor Rigby for me. Um it just it sort of gets faster as the song goes on, and you can, it's it really sort of captures that sound. I think it's with the the Muscle Shoals um, band, so it's just a really sort of triumphant cover of the song. And apparently, the Beatles loved that Aretha would try their songs. And Paul McCartney also sent what song was it? Um, sent her a demo of Let It Be when they recorded Let It Be in the hope that she would yeah. cover it. Um, and she did, and I think Paul sort of thinks that Aretha sort of surpasses his vocal skills on some of some of their songs. Um, and I suppose the ultimate compliment when you're doing a cover is the original artist. Um, think it is, yeah. Thinking it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, that's a great segue into my next. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't I haven't done that on purpose, um, but I'm very proud. Uh, it's all along the Watchtower by Jimi Hendrix. Um, obviously, a Bob Dylan original and Bob Dylan has, has regularly said um, that since that cover he, he now considers it a Jimi Hendrix song really um, it's actually one of the songs Bob Dylan plays live most apparently and apparently that's a direct consequence of him liking the Hendrix version so much in that he tries to play it um, as Hendrix as possible. I mean, I, could, I can't really picture Bob Dylan doing a, a <laughs> left-handed with his guitar on yeah, fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I can't see him doing. You know, that it, it's one of the best guitar solos of all time. I don't think it would have the same impact if it was Bob Dylan with a with a little boater hat on um, on stage <laughs> doing that. But when Hendrix did it, it was just absolutely flawless. I mean, it's absolutely iconic, um, absolutely brilliant tune. And I think Bob Dylan's right in that Jimi Hendrix took that song and really made it his own song. Um, it's also in With Nail and I, which is my favourite <laughs> film. And whenever I hear the song, I think of that scene when they're heading up the motorway off to um, off to the middle of nowhere. Um, so I've got a real soft spot for that song. And I think that's in any list of genuine, the best cover versions ever yeah think, that's what we're doing I think that'd be that'd be in there yeah competing right up there um, so other than that um, my fifth brilliant cover in my mind is Bobby Womack 
covering um, California Dreaming by the Mamas and the Papas. I know you're a big Mamas and Papas fan, aren't you, Adam? Yeah. Um, and their version is an absolute classic. Um, I think it really sort of fits that California counterculture sound in the late 60s um, and is rightfully proper quintessential iconic sound at that time. Um, but I love Bobby Womack's version that was just a couple of years later. Um, it was from his debut album, Fly Me to the Moon. Um, and I just love, I love his vocals. I love Bobby Womack's vocals on anything. Um, and I think he really sort of puts his own stamp on California Dreaming. Um, I discovered Bobby Womack through his collaborations with Gorillaz um, and straight away thought it, that's such a sort of soulful voice. Um, and California Dreaming is one of my favourite songs um, by Bobby Womack. It's a really sultry version. Um, and I think it stands up next to the Mamas and the Papas version, um, which again is one of the best things a great cover version can do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so they're my five brilliant tracks. I do have, I mean, my quirky ones, I think, are <laughs> brilliant as well, um, but we'll get to them. Um, so, yeah, my particular favourite there, personally, is Lost in Music by The Fall. Um, but they're my five choices. Cool. I think, like you say, we could easily have done a discussion on nothing but Dylan covers. Yeah, um, I think, the, the, again, the quality of Dylan's songwriting is that it's very hard to do a poor version. Mm. And some people, I mean, the birds particularly made half a career out of covering covering Dylan songs. You know, they, they had albums of Dylan covers. And it's interesting how many soul singers, Motown singers as well, did Beatles covers. Yeah. Um, you know, they were they were very heavily covered at that time. Um, but yeah, nicely Bobby Womack as well. I think, uh, mm. uh, as a family, uh, Womacks have contributed a huge amount. They have. I, I did realise as well there's quite a lot of um, trauma within the Womack family. Um and they've still you know, managed to put out some absolutely brilliant yeah. songs between them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, big fan of Bobby Womack. I think it's funny you say with the, the Jimi Hendrix um, version of All on Watchtower, it's funny in it how, like you said, like I'll get onto a few as well, like you say, that becomes, that song becomes, like you say, a Hendrix tune more than Dylan. And it's, it's one of those films where it becomes synonymous, if that's the right word. Probably not said that right with the 60s, because um, like you see, particularly you may see films who do like Vietnam or something, mm. it's always it's always on there, and you think so. People just like say, We'll just know it as the Jimi Hendrix version, which is only a credit to Jimi Hendrix and how good it is. I think it's actually, um, I think that song is one of the most used in, in movie soundtracks. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was actually you know number one or two, but I have read that it's. Um, what I did read was that it is overplayed in movie soundtracks. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say overplayed, that's got negative connotations really, hasn't it? But um, yeah, it, it lends itself well to a, a scene, particularly um, 60s and, and Vietnam, especially some yeah. great Vietnam films. Um, and that tends to be the soundtrack to it. Um, but yeah, Bob Dylan, there's so many covers out there. I did realise that I could have just entirely done a list of Bob Dylan covers. Um, some great, some not so great, but but like you say, Paul, the the sort of songwriting quality does shine through, regardless. Um, on those, on the same with the Beatles ones too. Cool, uh, Adam, do you want to do, run through your five? Yeah, cool. So I've gone for um, my first one is Twist and Shout, uh, the Beatles cover of the Arsley Brothers. Then I went for David Watts, uh, the Jam cover of the Kinks. Always on my mind, the Pet Shop Boys is covered by Elvis. Uh, Come on, feel the noise. Oasis is cover of Slade, and then the Tide is high by uh, Blondie covering the Paragons. Uh, my first one I'm going to go for is Twist and Shout. Now I think a bit similar to the All Along the Watchtower. People, you hear this song and you just instantly presume it's uh, a Beatles track, but actually they've covered the Isley Brothers, who have in turn um, covered a band called the Top Notes. So the Top Notes one's quite slow, quite doo woppy, but then the Isley Brothers take it to a bit more rock and roll. Um, it's actually the Isley Brothers that had that famous number. It's like, uh, and it goes higher and higher. Hmm. Um, so they they've taken that. Um, it, it's good. It's actually quite gospelly, like the like that very early like little Richard esque style of rock and roll the Isley Brothers want. But the Beatles one just comes in and just kind of changes it up a bit, makes it a bit more rockier, a bit more louder. I think there's a story of um, if John Lennon ever sang it, then like a gig or something, you'd always leave it to last because it would just wreck his throat. Yeah. Records vocals, 
Um, so much so, apparently, I, I read that when they were recording Please Please Me, which is what it was on, it's the last track, and that he had lozenges all day, you know, wait, waiting, just purely trying to build himself up to it. And it amazed me they done it in one take as well on the album, which mm-hmm. you don't know if it's because they've played it so much, they're just so used to it, or it's probably a bit of both, and also the just how credit to how good they all are. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of like a staple of the Beatles' early career. Like It's one of those, it's not a single hit, but it's just like you know of it anyway. Um, and it is one of those songs now you just hear it and think, well, it must be a Beatles tune, but um, obviously not. Um, the second one I'm going to go for was actually the first one I thought of was David Watts by the Kingston Jam. Um, written in 67, so around the time I walked off the same album of um, Waterloo Sunset and stuff like this. It's not twee, I don't mean it like that, but it's it's very British. It's very... I, I couldn't really describe it, so that's why I said twee, but I quite like the fact that it's like, la, 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 la. Like, I know what you mean by, by twee. <laughs> I think it's a, pretty, it's a brilliant King song, but I, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm rubbish with it. can't say yeah. it and, can't, and I can't even... <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm perfect for this. Um, <laughs> Speech-based format. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. the best person on. Um, but it, I, I don't know, there's just something about it. I love I love the piano. I love... I love um, Ray Davies' voice anyway. I think it, it's it's perfect for this song. Obviously, all singing about a schoolboy called David Watts. And I don't know, just some of the lines in it I've always loved as well. You know, it's like, he's the captain of the team. He's so gay and fancy free. And just stuff like that. It's it's just a really good uh, song and I've always loved it. But then, obviously, the jam come along about 10 years later and completely, again, change it. Uh, so it's a double A sign with an A-bomb in Wardour Street, which is another great song. Uh, it's actually sung by Bruce Foxton, so it isn't sung by Weller. But the thing I like about it is it's very, it sounds obvious because it's the jam, in that mod revival style, it's a lot quicker, it's got that faster beat and it's a bit more, got a bit more of an attitude to it, which is what I quite like about it compared to the King's version. Um, and where the King's version uses the piano, I like the, the guitar riff based of the uh, jam. Um, and it's just one of those songs, like again, I've for years I always just thought it was a jam cover because I got into the jam a lot earlier than the King's and then it's only when you get into the, obviously you get into music more and you see it's actually a cover, you like, you can see why the mod revival went back to the likes of the Kinks and other bands mm. like that to kind of get influence and stuff like that, um, of a style. So I think, I, I think that's always been a good cover. Um, my third one's going to be Always On My Mind by Elvis and Pet Shop Boys. A bit similar to Dylan, I feel you could do a whole one for Elvis alone. Um, because there was one that made, just like my bubble and under, which I'll probably touch on a bit later. Um, but again, even this is a cover of a cover. So um, it was released in 72 by uh, a woman called Brenda Lee, which I think, didn't she also do Up and Down the Christmas Tree? I've just made that up. I think I saw that on a playlist. That may have been a cover as well, but I was making a Christmas playlist to it. Oh, yeah, maybe the other day. Um, I'm sure I saw it. But um, he recorded it. He, actually decided, he decided to record it because he just split up with uh, his wife, Priscilla, maybe a couple of weeks beforehand. Um Actually, when I was making this, I, I was thinking this was Wonder Review. So, so I had playlist <laughs> rages, and I only realised halfway through, I was like, nope, this is not what I wanted. Um, but it's actually brilliant. The, the funny thing, uh, when obviously I knew the song anyway, but getting it meeting up on it, it was actually a B-side in the US, um, to separate ways. But then it was absolutely a massive hit in the UK, and it was actually voted not long ago. I say not long ago, it was like 2015. Um, the, the nation's favourite Elvis song. Which actually kind of surprised me a little bit because I would not have said this in a million years. Um, so it just shows you how the difference between the UK and the US, Margaret. Uh, Margaret. Margaret. Excellently <laughs> 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 done. <laughs> Next week, Adam's going to mouth the words and an actor will <laughs> provide his voice. <laughs> oh, one day, one day. Um, but then the, the version I love of it, and obviously is the reason I've gone for. I've had this uh, with my dad many a time. Uh, Elvis or the Pet Shop Boys version. I think the Pet Shop Boys version is just so good. Um, they would do it for a tenth anniversary of Elvis's death, and think actually no, we're going to keep this for ourselves. And it kept uh, came Christmas number one, in 1987, uh-huh. keeping in New York off it. But um, I just love it. It's so high intensity. It's up tempo. I love the fact that uh, Neil Tennant's voice kind of matches the, you know, the, the riff from when it's like, you always on my lap, it like that do, 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 do. Yeah, it, it yeah. matches it's a great that. voice. And um, they even do a, an album, I'm not sure, I can't remember if it was released before the single or after the single, but Introspective, uh, which is like an album of like 12 inches of some of their signals and stuff like that. 
but they make like an eight minute version of that and I even love that I think that's brilliant um, but yeah I think I think it's it's just such a brilliant it, again you could potentially maybe not put it in quirky but you could put it in like different like obviously complete different contrast but um, I feel it's one of those where it's just a hundred times better because they've changed the, uh, the style and I always love their top of the pops um, appearance you know when they do it and Chris Lowe has their computer and it just flashes pet shop boys always love that because you think it's so 80s <laughs> <laughs> it's like ridiculous um, my fourth one yeah fourth one maths was never my strong suit <laughs> 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 that's English how did I pass school you become friends with smart people that's what you do <laughs> um, I went for come on feel the noise by Slade slash Oasis um, I didn't realise at this point when they're looking into it it's actually Slade's fourth number one and I don't even think they'd reached Merry Christmas everybody uh, which I was like that's ridiculous mind blowing um, Slade when I was always growing up was like you just didn't recognise them for that Christmas song and then there was a LP shop in Southport, shout out George's. Um, and they, they just had the thing where like if you got so many records you could have it for, you know, whatever, like a tenner or something. Um, and I just picked up Slade's greatest hits and honestly I was blown away at how good Slade were. Like Slade people wrongly just think of that Christmas song, but then you get into them and you're like, no, they've got some great tunes. Um, but again, I like the rockiness and I like the sing-alonginess of this. And I kind of like the fact that it can't sound kind of like a chant, do you know what I mean? And you can imagine like the crowd really getting going to it, uh, particularly in the chorus. Um, I actually come up with the idea, I don't know if it has been done, because I know it has been used in football chants before, but I've come up, I, I sat there the other day and thought, I'm sure Celtic used it, thinking, come on, support the boys. And then I, I found oh, out the actual. Witness fans use it, so I guess it's coming from somewhere else. Well, there's this, like, and then I was like, even if Celtic haven't, Celtic, if you want to hit me up, <laughs> I'll quite have. And then I realised it's actually a, a Swansea chance as well. Oh, wow. Um, this is just me being sad. <laughs> um, but I just like because, like I say, it's, it's very laddy, but it's still quite successful. It's just such a good tune. And then Oasis covered it for the B side to Don't Look Back in Anger. Again, kind of like the jam, you can kind of see them going back and using these as um, inspiration and stuff like that. Um, but the thing, again, a bit similar to the jam, ironically, it's, I like the attitude of it. I like it's a lot more rockier, it's a lot more uh, louder. And I love um, Liam's really bad, brummy accent at the start. <laughs> <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And then at the end, it sounds like a big crowd, which is which I've always quite liked, like, like whatever and stuff like that. So I think I think that's quite a good cover, and then my last one is uh, "The Tide Is Hard" by the Paragons and Blondie. Similar to "Along the Watchtower" and "Twist and Shout," you hear this song and just instantly presume it's a Blondie tune, um, but obviously, obviously it isn't. Um, so originally, it obviously done by a Jamaican band, the Paragons. So it's quite doo woppy, and then you can kind of see ska and reggae influences in it, but it's obviously not at ska and reggae at that point. Uh, again, I've I've made no secret of it. Um, I love a good harmony. And the harmony and this is just again in my instant infinite uh, kind of dictionary wisdom it's tight-knittedness if i've written down um but it, it just amazes me that it was only a b-side again it was just another b-side to a song called only only a smile and you think it's become one of blondie's biggest hits um it was one of the i think it was their fourth or fifth number one it was the last one number one before maria in the 90s and the thing I quite like about Blondie's version is it's a lot more grand. Is grandiose a word? Grandiose is that a word? Grandiose. Grandiose. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get there. Um, so it's it's a lot bigger and it's it's a bit more. Do you know what? It's a bit more fun. And I think at this time as well, you listen to particularly Blondie at this point. I think the singles around that point are like a tonic, heart of glass, one way or another. So it's again just a complete, not 180, but just a bit of a shift in their styles. And I just think it really works. And I think, I think it's just Debbie Harry's voice kind of carries that. Do you know what I mean? Debbie Harry's got a voice that can kind of fit many a style. Um, so I think that I think that's why it works so well. Um, and I love the little bit I love her about it. Is, you know when she's getting towards the end and she goes, "The tide is high." <laughs> <laughs> I know the exact bit. <laughs> I've always loved that bit. It's just like I mean, fair dues. But um, yeah, so they're, they're my five that I've gone with. Um, yeah. Um, whilst we're on the Tigers High, I do also enjoy the Atomic Kitten cover yes. of that song, I have to say. Uh, I've got a soft spot for it. That's one that used to that would always be on the, um, the music video channels in the, in the early noughties. Ben um, Bard, they're taking it home. <laughs> it's a winner for me. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't reach the heights of uh, the Blondie version, by no means. But, um, 
yeah, I enjoy it. I think Oasis covering Slade is a, a no-brainer. Yeah. I, I think that uh, it was it, it was just a, a destined to be. I think they're, they're very much the forerunners of. Uh, I mean, you, you hear a lot of well, you hear a lot of T Rex in what Noel plays as well. But yeah. uh, I think he's obviously grown up listening to those to those tunes and obviously the Beatles is well known but uh, for, a, for a Slade track you could take any one of Slade's very biggest hits in that period put them on the first two um, Oasis albums particularly the first Oasis album and not really see the joy because they were you know, they were making that kind of rock and roll um, back in the, the early 70s yeah yeah I think like so you can like you say um, the good thing about Slade is like even with songs like Mama We're All Crazy and I think that you, I'm surprised they're not bigger I know it's I know they're probably not bothered because they're known for that Christmas song and Noddy probably rakes it in every year but like the more you get into them you're like actually these should be a lot bigger they were huge though I mean they, they, the they, they genuinely were huge they had six number ones uh, three went straight in at number one um, and were, were massive were a massive deal post the Beatles you know uh, in terms of being the biggest singles artist out there and I think it's probably only um, probably a couple of things Noddy's reluctance to get back together um, and also they may be a little bit hamstrung by the fact that their image is very much stuck in that period because there's been no been no carry on yeah. um, I think if they were to do a, a proper it's probably a little bit late now but if they'd done a proper comeback um, say for instance Oasis has said do you fancy playing Nebworth um, oh, wow. they would have just they, they, they would have got down an absolute Too storm bad. and it, it could easily have sort of kick started another yeah. um, another era yeah. uh, for them I think um, that it, in terms of top of the pops Slade and Come On Feel The Noise in particular is one of the most if you had to compile a list of um, the most iconic sort of top of the pops performances. I think Slade would have to feature on there um, with the costumes they wear. Um, I mean, they were never off top of the pops supposedly, but what I um, would have liked to have seen is when Oasis covered Come On Feel The Noise was to see them in full Slade gear yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and, and Liam with a Dave Hill haircut yeah, uh, in God, yeah. uh, <laughs> platform boots or something. And a mirrored top hat. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I'll run through, I'll run through my my five on the on the classic list uh quickly the uh, police on my back by the clash hard to handle by the black crows honky tonk women by uh humble pie well all right by nancy griffith and i feel for you by chaka khan and uh, the reasoning uh, the reason behind these and there were a lot of others uh, that i comfortably have chosen um one of the uh, first one police on my back uh, features on Sandinista um, and The Clash uh, were a great covers band and there's, there's Clash covers all over the place. Um, one of my favourites is their version of Time is Tight by Bucketty and the MGs, who I'll, I'll come on to later. Um, Police and Thieves off the first Clash album, another great reggae cover. And Police on My Back is actually a cover version of a song by The Equals, who were um, a late 60s uh, British pop band uh, featuring Eddie Grant uh, at that time um, probably best known for Baby Come Back uh, but Police On My Back just sounds like an archetypal Clash song even though they didn't write it um, they they sort of really play up the um, police siren guitar sound right at the beginning and this this notion of the Clash as sort of rock and roll outlaws is, is very much uh, to the fore and it's it's absolutely a, a banging song that I think was a tour bus favourite which is how they, they kept listening to the original which is how they came to to want to to want to record it and uh, yeah it's one of the, the, the mainstays of Sandinista really uh, following that Hard to Handle uh, by the Black Crows um, I think if you're going to you're going to take on something originally sung by uh, Otis Redding um, you need to know that you've got the, the goods to, to do it. And Black Crows, round about 1990, when uh, Shake Your Moneymaker came out, and in this country particularly, they were absolutely completely at odds with what was going on. Uh, obviously, we're at the height of uh, Manchester and rave culture and that kind of thing. And Black Crows came along like a throwback to some sort of 73, 74, uh, Leonard Skinner, Southern rock band 
um, with the Robinson brothers uh, very much to the fore. But this is a, a storming cover, and um, Chris Robinson, singer, uh, absolutely pulls it off. Um, and on an album full of really great songs, I think it still stands up now, 30 years later, uh, hard to handle. Uh, it's fabulous production as well. It's a really sort of hard, uh, hard version of it when you're listening to it full on. And then, uh, probably from the era that Black Crows wished they were from, uh, Humble Pie covering Honky Tonk Women by uh, obviously by the Stones. Uh, this was a, a feature of their, their live set um, and the, the Eat It album, which came on the just as the Humble Pie, probably at the peak of their success, had four, four sides, uh, each with a different style, sort of showcasing. Their, their talent, particularly obviously Steve Marriott's uh, talent, the, the guitarist and lead singer. Um, and I, again, I think one thing we missed out on the, the tragedies week was Marriott, who was yeah. perhaps one of the, the nation's sort of great lost talents in effect, um, with it never quite carrying on the, the sort of small faces and early humble mm. pie success until his, uh, his untimely death. But the, the version on Eat It and probably most of the other live versions as well, um, it's very ragged. Um, but then, as a live version, I have no no problem with that whatsoever. I think you want to hear bands going at it when they play something. It doesn't have to be completely faithful to the original. And uh, certainly, the way he sings it is is no way faithful to it. But he's just got such a such an amazing voice, um, and you can you know you hear the crowd getting into it as well. Um, but this is this is just a fantastic fantastic tune covered by uh, brilliant brilliant musicians. Completely different. The next one, well, all right. Um, there was a tribute to, to Buddy Holly album put out probably quite a few years ago now, uh, where the sort of surviving members of the crickets teamed up with uh, more established artists. And uh, Nancy Griffith, um, who's a, an American sort of folk and country singer, uh, probably around at the time when she was at her most popular, uh, covers this one. Uh, she's got a lovely, distinctive voice. Um, this, this tune works really well. Um, and again, as we said a few weeks ago, Buddy Holly, uh, you, you can't go wrong really with his songwriting. And uh, this is this is near faultless, just just a couple of minutes long, uh, but uh, an absolutely beautiful rendition of, uh, of the song. And finally, uh, Chaka Khan's uh, version of Prince's I Feel For You. And I was just mentioning before we started that I think I've probably got four versions of the song, um, two by Prince, one by the Pointer Sisters and one by, by Chaka Khan. Hers is obviously uh, by far away the most well-known, several weeks at, at number one in this country. Uh, it's got some um, elements that are hard to fault. Um, Melly Mel does the, the rap on it. Uh, Stevie Wonder plays harmonica. Chaka Khan's got an amazing voice. <laughs> she had a, yeah, she had a massive hit the same year with uh, Ain't Nobody as well. Um, and it produced by Arif Mardin, who was a mainstay of Atlantic Records for years, worked with all the great, the great soul artists. And I think when you look back on sort of iconic 80s songs, uh, this is one of them outside of the, the really big sort of Prince, Madonna, Springsteen, Jackson type artists. This is one song that has really sort of lived up to its, uh, lived up to its billing as being a, being a classic song. Prince's versions um, are, are completely different. Point of Sisters is, is much slower, um, but this is an absolute belter. There's always been a, a big dance floor uh, hit whenever it's been played and rightly had uh, several weeks at, at number one. So they're the, they're the five I've picked as my, my classic covers. You just you just saying there with their certain artists, their songwriting just lends to covers because I've got a Prince one a bit later on. I think Prince is definitely one of them. Like there's always yeah. he does such a vast array of work that there's going to be something there that you could cover and make it become your biggest hit. Do you know what I mean? I know I'm saying it's their biggest hit, but do you know what I mean? It's going you're going to give you some sort of hit because of just the quality of his songwriting. But um, yeah, no, I think the the honky tonk women one's a great shout because I I love the honky tonk. Um, stone song anyway but then that Humble Pie's cover is absolutely brilliant like you say mm. like I was going to say the best thing like you, you mentioned is the singing I think Steve Marriott's voice is amazing anyway and that song he just does it justice do you know what I mean like it's sometimes because you can get a good music and you think you've not sung this the way it should be sung or sort of stuff like that but no I feel he does it really good justice the way I, he sings it I don't know whether I'm making this up um, maybe I'll look it up and say it for next week but I'm sure he was asked at one point to be 
the guitarist in the Stones. No, I think, I think I've heard but, that. But yeah. I think I, that just wouldn't have worked because he, Jagger has to be, has to, has to sing with the Stones. He can't have someone Absolutely, whose yeah. voice yeah. is so good and so, you know, would perhaps drown out other things going on. It just wouldn't, I can't see it working much as he'd have been, you know, phenomenal. And the Stones um, perhaps would have been a completely different band for a while. Uh, I just don't see that. That working Where as well. I would have thought it was. I would have thought it was around that time to replace either to replace Mick Taylor or yeah. pre Mick Taylor at the end of the sort of Small Faces era. Okay. Uh, so um, round about, I would guess it was before Mick Taylor okay. uh, to be the, the guitarist and singer there. Would have been interesting to see, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love the um, the Clashes cover of Police on My Back. Um, I think it's one of the best. Like you say, they've, they've got quite a few covers. I'm glad you mentioned Police and Thieves. Um, I love the Junior Mervyn original of that um, on the covers, great too. Um, being a big Clash fan, I'm surprised that the first time I'd actually heard Police on my back wasn't the Clash version, it wasn't the Equals version. Um, I don't know if you can call it a cover, it was a, a rap version by Lethal Bizzle. <laughs> All right. um, at, I think Leeds Festival in 2009, maybe. Um, that was not the artist I was expecting you to no, say. No. <laughs> I, I mean, I suppose it, it's sort of the, the sample just runs throughout the song. It, it is almost the exact same song, and he just raps over it um, about being chased by the police, essentially. Yeah. And actually, it's a it's a really great version. I really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it's it's so. It sounds daft, doesn't it? But it's so clashy. That's sort of it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's hard not to, to think that it isn't isn't their song. Mm. I think it is always as a cover, as we said earlier. Uh, it almost makes it your own. Then, okay. So we're just going to sort of flip it on its head a little bit and look for covers that that take a song and, and do something a little bit different with them. Uh, so Ben, you got your your quirky side. I certainly do. I've got them ready. Um, so just to run through, um, I've got Isaac Hayes covering Bob Dylan's "Lay Lady Lay." I've got Susie and the Banshees covering Hall of Mirrors by Kraftwerk. Uh, Little Roy and his reggae cover of Come As You Are by Nirvana. I've got The Cure covering David Bowie's Young Americans. And lastly, I've got The Slits um, performing Marvin Gaye's I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Um, so I'll kick it off with Lay Lady Lay. Now, there's a few covers of this song. Um, I heard a, a version of it by Ministry. Um, which is a bit of a, an industrial effort. Um, but the cover by Isaac Hayes, I just think is fantastic. It is so quirky. It, it's just, it's so smooth. It's hilarious. It's really, <laughs> really sort of funny. It's, it's just proper Isaac Hayes. Um, and actually, he just makes it sound so X-rated, for want of a better word. Um, just Bob Dylan's... Lyrics. Do you know what year um, it's from, from Isaac Hayes? Um, it's from a 1999 compilation album. Okay. Um, yeah. It was called Tangled Up in Blues. Yeah, oh, right. Um, which I've, I've listened to a little so bit. So it was all people doing Dylan covers. It is. It's, it's just yeah. bluesy right. covers of Dylan, basically. And some of them, are, I mean, there's some good ones on there, uh, but this is the standout for me. Um, whether that's because I think it's a brilliant cover, I'm not so sure. I think I first enjoyed the song because, like I said, it, it just sounds so X-rated, the the original and a lot of cover versions are sort of more folksier and sound a little bit more innocent, but just the way Isaac Hayes sings about, um, you know, lying on his big brass bed and so <laughs> on. Uh, I won't go much more uh, into it, but it is, I mean, it's, it's great. It's so, like I said, it's so smooth. It's so bluesy and his voice really, really works. Um, so I've, if you haven't heard it, um, definitely give it a listen, but it is, Quirky is one of the best words to describe it, I think. Um, my next one is Susie and the Banshees, covering Hall of Mirrors by Kraftwerk. And I think any any cover of a Kraftwerk song is, is going to fit into a quirky category. Um, and I think I'd always be a sucker for a Kraftwerk cover, whether it was good or bad. Um, but I think this one's great. Um, Susie and the Banshees released um, an album entirely of covers called Through the Looking Glass uh, in 1987. And obviously that um, the name of the album alone features in the lyrics to uh, Hall of Mirrors. Um, and I just think her vocals really work on the song and it, and it really suits her, really. Um, and actually Ralph Hooter of 
craft work called the cover extraordinary um which is high praise if you're taking on craft work and some <laughs> Ralph compliments <laughs> yeah yeah very true actually um but yeah there's some great cover songs on that album they do wear uh, the passenger um oh, by nice. iggy yeah. pop which is a great cover as well um but i think just 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 because she's taken on a Kraftwerk song, it's my favourite on the album. Uh, I thought about mentioning Dear Prudence from 1983, um, which, yeah, is a brilliant cover. But uh, like I said, I'm a sucker for a, a Kraftwerk cover, I think, and it's one of the only ones I've heard. I don't know if I can name another Kraftwerk cover off the top of my head. Um, so I'm pleased, pleased to see uh, that there was one. Um, the next one I've picked is Come As You Are, which is a reggae cover by Little Roy. Now, Little Roy actually recorded a full album in, in 2011 called Battle for Seattle. Um, and it was an album entirely made up of reggae Nirvana covers, which that could be seen as, as a bit gimmicky. You know, t- t- doing a whole album like that, it, it could have um, not really worked. You know, sometimes you'll get away with one song and it will sound great. But if you take on a whole album, it's almost a bit... For instance, there's often... Um, Elvis themed Nirvana covers bands is it, is it called Elvana yeah, um, yeah, yeah which yeah, I've heard yeah. is a great night out uh, but it, it you know that that is um, in itself a bit of a gimmick um, but I thought it was a it's a really great album Battle for Seattle and Come As You Are is definitely the best song on the album um, it just seems to be a really it's, it's come from the right place um, these covers um, and it's a definite highlight on the album um, and I do remember again being at Leeds Festival I think in 2011 and he was on one of the smaller stages one of the smallest even um, and it was the tent was absolutely packed out yeah. um, it was w- one of those where the tent's full and then you've got a crowd that can't even <laughs> see the stage at all um, and it was a real highlight it was brilliant I think most people there had never heard of him or heard the songs before but just thought reggae nirvana I'll, I'll have a bit of that um, so that, w- that was really great um, the next one I've got is The Cure. It's The Cure covering David Bowie, which again, just hearing that, that that's me sold, um, I think. But it's definitely more on the quirky side than the genuinely um, brilliant side. Robert Smith said The Cure don't often do covers, um, but for an artist like David Bowie and one of his favourite Bowie songs, uh, they made an exception. It's from their B-Sides and Rarities album, Join the Dots. And there's, if, if you're a Cure fan, there's some absolutely brilliant stuff on there. There's a cover of Purple Haze by Hendrix, which that's um, a little harder to listen to than just some of young Americans, to be honest. It's, it's, it's great, but um, it doesn't land anywhere near as much as young Americans does. Um, I think it's great. It's, again, sounds silly. It's very Curie. Robert Smith really puts his, um, his stamp on it, and so do the band. Um, it's just given it a slight sort of goth twinge, but also that sort of poppy Cure sound. Um, and I think it lends itself well to young Americans. I think they've picked the right Bowie song there. Um, and that's a cover. Whenever I think of cover versions, that's that's one that I always um, think of first and definitely pretty quirky. Uh, and The Slits, I heard it through the grapevine. Again, th- this is a genuinely brilliant cover, I think. I thought about missing this in my, my first five, but um, you could definitely say it's it's a quirky cover too. There's obviously lots of Motown covers have heard it through the grapevine. It's one of many jewels in Marvin Gaye's um, crown. But this this cover by The Slits is sort of like a real an- antithesis, antithesis um, to that sort of sound. It's a really sort of dubby, punky version of it. And I think it really works. Um, Ari Up's vocals, I think are fantastic. And they are a world away from sort of soulful, uh, Motown versions you yeah. did get of the song, um, and I just think they've played the blinder. Really, it was on the debut album. It was it was a great song to sort of introduce um, the band to a lot of people, and they played it their way. Which again, I think all great covers that's that's how they should be. Um, put their own stamp on it and really sort of reimagine it in a way. Um, it was really quite radical, and I think Ari Upsins at one point. I heard it through the bass line instead of I heard it through the grapevine, which is just really quite <laughs> clever. I think very, very punky in itself to change a lyric like that to um, a song by someone like Marvin Gaye. So I think that one really lands. Um, it was a late entry. Actually, I hadn't thought of that song. Um, and I thought of it 
last minute, I think this morning, and thought, oh, that's um, that's got to go in there. Um, so they're my five quirky ones. I had lots of others. Come up with. <laughs> that, that last one is a, it's a really bold choice for them to do mm. because obviously it's such an established uh, standard and to sort of take it apart and, and reinvent it is incredible. As a fan, you might be able to say David Burns covered the model. Oh, okay. And he's covered it with uh, the Balonescu Quartet, who trivia fans Excellent. do the music for University Challenge. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, that's one of my favourite uh, BBC shows. Absolutely. So I'll definitely give that David yeah. Byrne uh, the model a listen as soon as I leave here, I think. <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Adam? Yeah, I was going to say the, the one I like about Clarence Jaws is uh, the little boy. Uh, similar to a story I'll get onto in mind, it's when you, after we heard it in work, it was the first time I heard it. And it's one of those songs, you know, it's like, it gets going. And you're like, is that what I think he's covering? Sure, yeah. And then it's only, like, obviously it says, come as you are, straight from the off. And you're like, this sounds like Nirvana. So, but then the closer, the more it gets in, you're like, what? This is like, it's so 180, so off the wall. You're like, Absolutely. this works yeah. perfectly. It takes a minute to sink in that that's the song you're hearing and it's that in that style. I find that sometimes if I'm at an indoor market somewhere or, or <laughs> in, a, in a department store or something and you'll hear something, and that, that's exactly what happens, isn't it? I think it's a good example of that. Yeah. Um, do you want to move on to my five? Yeah, please. Yeah. Cool. So my five, I've gone for uh, Let's Spend the Night Together, so the Bowie version of The Stones, uh, the Mike Flower Pops version of Wonderwall, uh, Johnny Cash's version of Hurt, uh, Sinead O'Connor's version of Nothing Compares to You, and then the Mondays version of Step On. Um, so I'm going to start with Let's Spend the Night Together. Um, I, again, this one, I love the Stones tune. Um, I think it's a double A side with Ruby Tuesday. Uh, it's just at that peak period of the Stones for me, like the mid six, mid to late sixties, where they just can't do anything wrong. Um, and it, it's just been excited. I love a Jagger's vocals at this period. I know it's his vocals are pretty good anyway, but at this point, I feel like he's really on form. I love the the build up of the piano, like the kind of it's kind of like franticness, and then the in the middle of it, it's like do 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 and all that. See, that was absolutely bang on that. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, and so I, I've, I've always liked it, but then uh, Bowie's version, I'm actually not really that much a fan of. I don't dislike it, but I, I neither like it at the same time. So he releases it on Aladdin Sane, and it's another one of those songs, you know, when it starts off a bit, you're like, is this what I think he's covering? Because instead of the piano, he does this really disjointed guitar, and I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure he adds another verse to it at the end, when it's like... You know, it's fading out. I was like, I'm sure this isn't in the original, but then my memory's awful, so it might not be. Um, but it was just one of those at the time, you know, it's, it, it's I, I remember, I remember reading up on it, like some guy said, uh, in, I think it was like Rolling Stone on the MA, it was like, it's if someone just took it and made it 100% more raunchier. And you're like, the song didn't need to be raunchier, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's one of those songs where you're like, it's a bit like, wouldn't it be nice, you know, like by the Beach Boys. Like, it's kind of like a, a nice art, you know what it's about, but it does it the nice way, do you know what I mean? It doesn't need to be raunchy yet. Um, so yeah, so it's just not really, for me, It's uh, I'd say it's actually quite unsatisfying, uh, which is probably a bit damning, isn't it? <laughs> 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 I'll scratch that from the notes. Uh, the second one I've got to go for is probably the biggest 180 in my list, is uh, the Mike Flower Pop version of The Wall. I would call that, I absolutely love this cover. I think it's, it's one of those, again, a bit similar to The Little Roy, uh, I, was in, I was in work and you know it, it came on, on on the radio or the playlist and um, you know again you know you're just like is this what I think he's covering yeah. and then obviously you think I know these lyrics and it was annoying me because I'm rubbish you know when put on the spot for lyrics I was like I can't think but it is can't think and it's only when he was like backbeat I was like I, thought, I was like this, this is under the wall <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I don't need to tell you much about under the wall obviously um it got to number two, ironically, Brian Robson, Jerome C. earlier podcast. Um, but it's it's just crazy. Like, when you hear this version, and he's made it like a 60s turtleneck crooner lounge mm. version. And um, I'm, I'm sure there's a, there was a thing doing around it. was either Chris Evans or Noel himself tried to play it off. It was like, that was the original, and Oasis had cover it. I think you're right. Um, rings a bell. But bizarrely, it got to number two as well. Yeah. It got to, yeah. it got, did really well. Crazy. I was like, I didn't expect that at all. Um, and it, they had a, they, they actually had like a not a run that's a complete lie they had a, they had a second up tune which escapes me off the top of my head um, but that goes got to the top 10 so because it of it, the doors 
it might have been like my sure fire or yeah. something like that. Um, actually, yeah, the last sounds right now you say it. Um, but it's, I just love it because it's like say it's so different. And I think they like, say sometimes a, a total genre shift can be good, but then sometimes it can work perfectly. Um, and it's always in my spot since I found it, it's always been like comfortably in my Spotify. <laughs> uh, just just purely for the, just for the laughs. Um, now the next one I've gone for again is quite similar to the like to the Hendrix version of all over Watchtown stuff like that. Uh, becomes synonymous with it is John, Johnny Cash Nine Inch Nails version of Hurt. Now I was I've kind of heard it years ago and I never really kind of went back to the Hurt uh, Nine Inch Nails version. But then obviously we listen to it. It sounds the only way I can kind of describe it is um, it's kind of industrial. It's, it's the mm. only way I know you used it for I think it was craft work before. It's it's kind of in similar vein. Um, I think the reason I kind of got back into it, I think it was in the Rick and Morty episode. <laughs> so I think that's how I got back into it. Um, but the thing I like about both of them where they do quite well is it sounds obviously you can sense, I know that's the whole point of the song, but you can kind of sense like the pain, you know, both of them are singing. Yeah. Um, and even though it's very different, it's kind of shares similar themes. And you saying before, before remember the Redemption song, um, the good thing about this part of Cash's career is he kind of just records what he wants, mm. in, not not in a bad way, but um, I think it was this point he starts doing the American recordings and um, he kind of gets a bit, not fed up, that's the wrong word with music, but I, th- I think he loses the fun of it. Um, so he teams up with um, the guys again. This is how I listen to the guy's name escapes me. The producer, Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin, that's it. Yeah, um, and he, he's kind of just like you know, record what he wants. And to be honest, the American recordings are absolutely brilliant. Um, the fourth one, this is off, is probably his best. But you know, he does other covers like um, I've always liked this cover. I won't back down the Tom Petty tune. I've always quite liked that. But um, this is quite good, and I think the thing that makes it quite poignant is. Um, it's actually the final single released, and you're thinking nowadays it's kind of, if you think of Cash, one of these probably would be one of the songs you think of about it. And then the Nine Inch Nails have turned around and said, well, this is like pretty much like Dylan was like, well, this is a Johnny Cash song now, it's not our song. Mm. Um, and I think that shows you how good a cover can be if they take it and make it their own and obviously have it like, so people think it's theirs. Uh, the next one I've gone for is uh, Nothing Compares to You. Uh, so Prince and then Sinead O'Connor um, so obviously it's Prince writer for his side project The Family uh, but uh, about 1980 I think it's in the early 80s but then he re- has a cover in 1984 which he doesn't release and then he eventually releases it in 1993 um, Prince's version is actually quite it's quite funny and it's like it's quite I don't know how to describe it it, it sounded really slow funk um, but I didn't, I didn't think that was the right phrase. But I just couldn't describe it. You know what I mean? But it's really like melodic, and I really like the little droney piano sound at the back of it. it it's not as big. I thought it's quite quiet. You can imagine them singing it in like a little smoky room somewhere, like just stumbled in. <laughs> um, but then Sinead O'Connor's version. Um, I, must, I do. I love this song. I used to like. It's been one of my go-to-bed playlists for years. So kind of growing a real big soft spot for it. Um, and I think it's just so much sadder like the video is obviously the famous where she just zooms in on her bright white face which is kind of horrifying but um, <laughs> but <laughs> you get to see the uh, <laughs> Sinead I love you really if you're listening um, you know it's like dead like you say the tear rolls down should be that. denouncing yeah. you live on TV it's such a big hit and then I think that I've heard stories of like you know when she would first sang it you know in the vocal booth the producer started crying and she thought she'd done it wrong and he was like said no it's that it's that amazing I've been moved to tears um, but the best story I've got about this, looking into it, is apparently Prince summoned. This is this is in her words, not my words. But you know, if why would you not come running if Prince summoned you? Um, summoned her to her home not long after she released it, and was like, no, you've got, you've done this. That's not a version I like, in particularly that. And um, in her words, we came to blows. As <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. you know, of course, a small Minnesotan man and a rowdy Irish woman. Um, <laughs> and in her words as well, she had a. He had a punch harder than me. So wow. <laughs> it's just like, of all the songs to come to blows over, yeah. it's just crazy. Um, obviously, his punch no, was nothing compared to hers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> scratch that. Up. Very good. I thought that before when you were right. It's all been building up to that. Yeah, yeah. 54 minutes. <laughs> There's the jokes, folks. <laughs> I was sapping when I put an hour. <laughs> 
I thought I peaked with the Celtic come on support the bullies. I keep, I keep giving. <laughs> Super. And then the last one I'm going for is uh, Step On. Uh, so, oh, he's going to step on you again by Johnny Congos, who I've never heard of until this point. And then, obviously, the Mondays version, that's terrible about me saying I've never heard of him. But, um, <laughs> Originally, I'd say... Yeah, kind of waiting outside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be the of a lifetime. <laughs> I would die out on that story for years. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, but the cool thing I quite like is, it's, it's, I was just, I've actually become a big fan of this. He's going to step on you again, the Johnny Congo's face. I was listening to it on the training for about four times on repeat. Um, I like how rocky it is. It's quite like, it sounds to me, you can imagine strutting along to it in, in the street. Uh, it's rocky. I, I like the... Again, I've, I mentioned it before, I can't remember what it's called, but you know the electric piano, like the very 60s, 70s sound. Mm. Um, do I say Mellotron? Did that sound right? Uh, That's something, that is an instrument. It's some sort of electric piano, that sounds right. Um, but I quite like it because for that reason, you know, it's very 70s of its time and very, like I say, very stressy, very rocky. Um, but then the thing I found most bizarre about it is obviously the Mondays release it years later in the night, I think it's very, very early 90s, might be 90. Um, and for me, it's the better version. It's a lot more dancey. I love the whistles in it. They've added, obviously, the line, you twist them a melon man, which has become very, like, it, it, when you think of the Mondays, that's what you think of, wasn't it? I'm sure it was the, uh, I'm sure that was right, Sean Ryder's autobiography headline, headline title, whatever it's called. Um, but then again, like, they changed the fact, they changed the guitar to the piano. Um, but the thing that amazed me most is actually the original. I, I, I just presumed the uh, the Monday's version would have stormed the charts because you know why would it not? Because it's absolutely amazing. It only got to number five. I mean that's not to be sniffed. That I'd kill for a number five record. <laughs> but um, the original got like one place higher, and I was just like I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I was just like I'm surprised. Like, I just thought everyone would have, again when you think of the Mondays or so you hear the song you just presume it's a Monday's tune. Um, but no, it just didn't get as high. Um, I think they were going to record it for their own album. They were, so they were going to do some 40th label. Um, Electra. Electra Records 40th anniversary was recorded for. Okay. Originally. Uh, and then they were like, it's that good, we're going to keep it for them, uh, themselves. So they ended up recovering another Johnny Congo song, which I was amazed they had more than one. Um, it began with a T. Takalashi Man. Takalashi. I knew it was like something man. I, I was going to say Talalaya. <laughs> another top five hit. Was it? Yeah. Oh, I feel like I'm doing such an injustice here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go, next podcast is going to be all Johnny Congo somewhere on the next side. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think, I just think it, the Monday's version is much better and I absolutely love the Monday's tune. Just to fight his corner for a second, I love the original. The, I, do, I do think oh, Happy Monday's yeah. cover is, is um, I think it takes it to the next level really. Um, and I didn't know it existed um, until you told me. Um, myself and when I listened to it I thought Happy Mondays would have like really changed it a lot and I suppose to a certain degree um, they have but the original is I, I think it's fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. yeah the original's a tune yeah mm-hmm. really yeah, is but it was a great choice it was a great choice as a cover and, and yeah, the other yeah. Takalashi Man is as well uh, but they put that on the 40th anniversary album instead as you as you were saying mm. which uh, I mean the, the whole the whole step on thing which it's you know it's a defining tune of the era but also you've got the the video for it and the enemy cover yeah. with mm-hmm. kevin cummins of sean on a big e which <laughs> it just like <laughs> no caption no <laughs> caption required you know it's uh it just absolutely stands out that video is good the only thing i've got to say about the videos is sean Ryan's curtains oh yeah, yeah it's like yeah. very I'm like no up. yeah yeah <laughs> okay uh well just to, to round us off i've got uh my five quirky covers, uh, and these are in order, uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, so another Nirvana cover, this time by Tori Amos, uh, Jumping Jack Flash by Ananda Shankar, Cars by The Ledger Society, Day Tripper by Booker T and the MGs, and Waiting for the Man by OMD. And going back to the top, um, I mean, we seem to be inundated these days, particularly on adverts by slowed down piano led female <laughs> vocalized uh, songs all over the place, uh, most of which do nothing for the original song uh, apart from ruin it. Um, but back in the day, Tori Amos, um, for one of her singles, um, not the lead track, uh, covered uh, the then huge. Uh, Nirvana song obviously smells like Teen Spirit and yet just reinvents it as a piano only 
really uh, angsty. Not that it wasn't angsty to begin with, but just as a solo performance, um, almost a balladeering version that that just gives it another dimension altogether. I don't. I mean, I, I don't think you can beat the original. I think it was. It's one of those absolutely fantastic rock songs that, uh, like Anakin in the UK or you know something of that nature, where when you hear it for the first time, you just think, "Oh my God, this is uh, this is changing everything." But then to go and do something like Sorry Amos did and uh, play it in a completely different way, but give it so much, so much heart and feeling uh, equally uh, slowed down, just just her and the piano is uh, is absolutely remarkable. Um, so yeah, while you know I wouldn't, we've talked in the past about people doing tragic versions of it, <laughs> hello, take that. Um, <laughs> this fortunately is uh, is in a different league altogether. And then again, similar to us picking a, picking previous Stones covers, Jumping Jack Flash by Ananda Shankar. Uh, it was a Bengali musician, and this is off his uh, his first album after moving to to America, an eponymous album, and it's just this incredible sitar-led version of um, you know one of the Stones' greatest tunes, and it's just got this this great atmosphere to it. Um, the fact that it, the fact that it is a cover of a, a really good song, you know, helps enormously. But again, just doing something completely different rather than just being a, you know, a, a straightforward band workout. You've got this uh, this brilliant sitar uh, sound over the top of it. It's it's all swirly, quite psychedelic, um, and just just completely off the wall, really, compared to compared to the sort of Jagger and Richards original. And the third one was uh, Cars, Gary Newman song by a band called The Leisure Society. And uh, I was at a festival called Summer Sunday about a decade or so ago, and they were playing um, on a really, really small tent. It looked basically like a catering tent. It was so small, um, the smallest one on the on the site. And it was only a boutique festival anyway, so you can imagine the place wasn't that mm. wasn't that big. And um, I'd heard a single of theirs called Save It For Someone Who Cares. Really liked it. I thought, well, I'll go and watch it. They won't be on for long. They're in the middle of the day. See what the rest of it's all about. And in common with a couple of the others you mentioned, they started this song with some sort of plucked violin and viola. And I'm listening to it thinking like, God, that melody sounds familiar. And then it starts a little bit more and a little bit more. And it ends up being this sort of fully-fledged, almost string quartet version with, with other instruments as well of cars and oh, it, it's just it's just unbelievable it's just one of the, the, the best most unusual covers of something I've uh, I've ever heard and it gets the, the big swell into the chorus and everything but um, I mean they've been you know pretty much overlooked really did you know there's no no great success there but they again they, they've turned something inside out from a fully electronic version of uh, a song that, that was such a massive hit to making it all about more traditional instruments mm-hmm. and um, and pulling it off uh, completely and then uh, day tripper uh, by booker t and the mgs and booker t and the mgs did a whole album of Beatles covers, which they called Macklemore Avenue, uh, as the Beatles had called one of their albums, Abbey Road. They named it after the street on which the, the recording studio <laughs> studio was on, and uh, they reworked Day Tripper in a, a sort of much slower, almost sleazier uh, sounding sounding song. Uh, gets very stripped back, uh, just to um, Booker T's organ playing occasionally, a little bit of drum. And just, Steve Cropper's guitar will come in a little bit, um, but there are—I mean, Booker T and the MGs are absolutely fantastic, uh, fantastic group. I mean, they're the bedrock of Stax recordings for years, pretty much playing as the house band for for many of Stax's greatest uh, artists, and whatever they turn their hand to is usually. Uh, pretty good quality but I mean on this album as well they also cover things like uh, something and uh, carry that weight it's just a it's just a, a great uh, compilation of, of Beatles songs and then the final one uh, is Waiting for the Man by OMD which was originally the b-side of Messages and uh, again it's one of those where you, you see the title and it obviously was vinyl at that time and you put it on you think like Waiting for the man, okay. And it starts off, <laughs> and you think, yes, it is waiting for the man. <laughs> um, but it's a completely, you know, it's an, an electronic version in total, um, but still the, the same, 
the same song. Um, and just, again, just the, the sort of sheer difference in listening to something from a synth-led point of view from a song that's uh, originally, you know, all about um, looking for your dealer um, in, in New York in the sort of late 60s uh, from a band from the, you know, the main streets of the Wirral. Uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe not quite, you know, apologies to any less than main streets. Uh, over the water, <laughs> but the uh, it was just so it was so deep. yeah. Taking it on, you know, you think like, well, fair enough. You know, if, if you want to do a cover of uh, a song that you really like, that's that's absolutely fine. Do it in your own style. This is what you you're, you're all about. But it was such a surprise. Uh, I love messages. I think it was brilliant. And you know, every now and again, you always flip the thing over to see what the the B side's going to be like. And in this case, it was uh, it was some reworking some some velvets classic um so yeah as, as quick as it comes so they're my they're my five excellent i um the omd cover of waiting for the man that's one that i um wasn't aware of i've, I've heard uh, quite a lot of Velvet underground covers and there's a, i think the vast majority uh, are really quite good um there's a good beck version of waiting for the man but that one's actually quite faithful to the original um so you know, it's not sort of got that edge to it, but the OMD version, like you say, a very fully electronic version, um, is just interesting um, to hear. I think it's great, um, but it is, it's definitely on the quirky side yeah. um, of covers. <laughs> I think it's just interesting for its own sake. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, and also the um, Ananda Shankar cover of Jumping Jack Flash. And I mean, one of my favorite things about a good cover is if they use a completely different instrument yeah. Um, to the original, and that's a perfect example of that. The sitar um, is brilliant. Same goes for the, the strings on um, cars. Yeah. Um, if, if they've got something like that, that, that straight away just completely takes it in a different direction. Without actually having thought about that, I think pretty much all five of those they are. Yeah, yeah. It, wasn't, it wasn't planned mm -hmm. out like that, but now you've mentioned it, they, they pretty much are yeah. all sort of differently driven. Uh, differently different versions. I was going to mention uh, Day Tripper, but obviously being Booker Junior, he's based on electronic, again, piano, organ, whatever we're going to call it. As soon as I said it, I was like, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> 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 I think it was a book of G and the MTs we were. That was it. <laughs> 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 if it keeps on giving. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> At least we didn't include any uh, Mazagine covers. <laughs> <laughs> Again, see, see previous episodes. <laughs> so um, we'll. <laughs> We will we'll, we'll put together a playlist uh, featuring the good and the quirky from this week's. Uh, if you're lucky, we'll get Adam to do a quick run through of all, <laughs> of all the tracks as you as you're listening to them. It probably won't bear any relation to the actual titles, but <laughs> we love him and he'll be back next week. So thanks once again, Adam Blaney, or Adam Blaney as he'll be as he'll be known from now on, <laughs> and Ben Haywood. Thank you, pleasure as always, and uh, hopefully we'll see you all again in a week's time. Bye. <laughs>